0: Hello, friend, and welcome to the U Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best selling author of the book U Turn Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. I wrote the U Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have 0 THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep, and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress... I started taking Soul CBDs Sleepy Gummy before bed and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my new bedtime besties. So, our friends over at soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystahl.com slash soul, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them and don't forget to use the code U-TURN at checkout, that's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. U-turn friends. I am so excited for today's guest. She's one of my absolute favorite people that I've been on her podcast. You've got to check it out. It's called the self-work podcast. I'm bringing Dr. Margaret Rutherford onto the show. She's the author of a book called perfectly hidden depression, how to break free from the perfectionism that masks your depression. I was going through it and there's just so many gems in there. Um, and that's why I wanted to talk to her about perfectionism because You know, as I said, in my Ted talk, you know, I believe that perfectionism is a mask that so many of us wear out of fear of failure and fear of failure can look like many things. It can look like something that shows up at work, or I was just talking to her about how there's so much perfectionism in me that wants to look perfect and pretend that I don't feel that way so that I don't, I'm not vulnerable or exposed and there's just so much in this topic. So, without further ado, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, Ashley, I'm I'm delighted to be here. Really, truly, and um, you know, I I kind of chased you down on Instagram. I think <laughs> I, I watched your TED talk. I thought, oh, oh, I like this woman, and um, and so you were you're kind enough to have me on your show. So, um, but I, I just told you, you the, your show on on self work is doing. Absolutely. Great. So, you know, it's my audience is lapping you up. So um, anyway, I'm delighted to be here. And I remember so well when you just said that about what you did last night. I remember I've been married now for 31 years, but uh, my husband was actually in Pennsylvania and I was in Texas when we met. And I remember the phone call that um, I was on with him. And when I said, "Okay, well, I I'm not like going to see anybody else. Right. <laughs> and my heart was pounding and yeah you know and uh he goes well I haven't been seeing anybody since you know we began dating and he said so you've been seeing other people." <laughs> but boy that that leap of yeah it's and you know that's before the I love you I love you's but that wasn't far behind um but gosh I'm <laughs> You'll just have to be patient, I guess you said, yeah. this guy feels the same way, but he's just a little more reticent to use his language. But like you say, you kind of want to be like a turtle and go back in and say, well, oh, yeah. I didn't really mean that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like with perfectionism, it's like, um, I don't know, I, I was reading something this morning about how um, we try to act like everything's okay as a way to let something go. But that's usually the opposite of actually letting it go. So just like as we're diving into perfectionism and and I was I was looking at your you know book like you were talking about how kind of you know life can look perfect but inside people can be quietly falling apart and I I see this a lot in the influencer space. I have a lot of friends with big audiences and deep down they're going through something and it's painful. And so uh, what message would you have for anyone listening that maybe knows that they do have some perfectionistic tendencies?
1: Well, First of all, let's not throw the, what's that old saying, not throw out the baby with the bathwater? I never quite understood that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, it's, it means something. Yeah. Uh, so not all perfectionism is destructive. I mean, there, I think when it's fueled by generosity or curiosity or just kind of a, of a very positive wanting to give back or something like that when your life is balanced and you you can make mistakes and you learn from them and you accept them and you, you know, you're still perfectionistic. You're still trying to do your, ex, you know, striving for excellence, but at the same time, it's a journey, not a destination, you know, tasks are a process in and of themselves. So that's one kind of perfectionism, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But destructive perfectionism is very, very different. Mm. and my my idea and I mean, it's not i mean you know there's research to back this up it's not like i came up with this idea all by myself but it's um what can happen in childhood is that no matter what the circumstances that a child may confront uh be it abuse or neglect or trauma or um you know, enmeshment, anyway, I can throw around a lot of psychology, easy words, but it's, it's sort of an adaptation. I just learned to wear this camouflage that makes me look like I'm fine. And I don't have any painful emotions. In fact, I really detach from those and I discount any bad stuff that's happening to me. And it can become, in fact, I've, I've used a phrase just recently called a, a concrete camouflage that, um, it's, it's very thick and, you know, people really can't see through it, but it, you know, think about that. It just gets heavier and heavier and heavier as you wear it. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have something in your teenage years or your, um, your, you know, your twenties or whatever, that also kind of, forces you or you feel like you have to kind of rise above it all and not look like you're having any kind of struggle but certainly i think uh, a lot of the destructive perfectionism that's out there has been around so long that it's not even conscious it's it's become something you do you don't think about it at all it's just you it's just you and so you you know People might say to you, gosh, how do you get everything done that you do? And probably those influencers are in that group, you know, they, and yet they are, they know, or they sense, or they, they have a gut feeling that, you know, they, they're working so hard to, uh, portray this perfect looking life that really there's a growing emptiness and a growing despair. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And more than ever, it's like, um, I don't know, I see, you know, even myself as someone with a personal brand, it's like, I look at those pictures of, of all of us with our laptop on the beach. And I'm like, when's the last time I like typed on my laptop on the beach and like showed this, like, that's never been my actual life. Right. And it's 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 interesting um, what a highlight reel social media can be, and how much people are going through. Um, what is the first step or way that someone can shift their mind to start to heal from that trap that they can get into with perfectionism?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. Well, the first thing in my mind is just like any emotional problem or a mental problem you have to admit it's a problem <laughs> you know uh perfectionism is is again because it has this sort of this this fairly healthy cousin <laughs> you know and constructive credit uh constructive perfectionism that you know people can just say oh yeah i'm perfectionistic and isn't that funny and that's great and i work hard and they don't actually admit or reveal to themselves that it is a way of hiding. Um because it works. I mean I've I had cataract surgery last year and my doctor said well you know I'm a perfectionist and I said that's damn good I'm glad you are I want you to be a perfectionist. Um and so we reward that and for someone to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and say I'm so tired of this um that it is That because there's no freedom in it, it becomes it's very lonely because no one actually knows you. You're too afraid of letting people see your vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know the way to begin working on it is to say, "I need to look at the." You know, it's kind of like with anorexia anorexia is all about control and uh, an anorexic will tell you, you know, I have used anorexia as she or he, my best friend. I mean, my anorexia is my best friend. Perfectionism is the same way. Perfectionism has been there for you. You know how to turn it on. You know how to focus, you know how to get things done. You know how to control your emotions. You know, you know, all that stuff. It just becomes easy to you and to begin to say, I need to shake this up because i am dying on the inside um is is a revelation that's so important now you might not know how um but you know you can begin to at least you know maybe you go into therapy maybe i've had people say well i don't even know how to start therapy and i'll say you know just walk in a therapist office and go you know who i'm going to try to convince you i am i'm really not or say that to a friend I work so hard to make you think I'm so happy and I really at times am not. And then they'll go, well, really? And you go, yes, and I just told you all I'm ready to tell you. Yeah. I took that very first step of saying, I'm not really who I want you to think I am.
0: I love that. Just giving yourself the freedom to at least claim that. You know, I was thinking as you were speaking about perfectionism and as I was looking through your book, which is so awesome, uh, I was thinking about... Um, it 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 feels to me like trauma, like a trauma response. And I'm curious if if that's in your opinion, I mean, I don't want to be extreme, but mostly the case. And yes. if so, is healing from perfectionism a game of healing from trauma? And if that's the case, how do people start to see what those traumas were that this, are putting them in a place where they just nonstop are kind of enslaving themselves? like treating themselves with, with so much pain and challenge? Uh, it is
1: a wonderful question because um, basically they probably don't even label the trauma as trauma. Yeah. Oh, that's not trauma. I don't even like that word. What do you mean trauma? <laughs> you know that That's like somebody getting raped or somebody, you know, uh, their home is destroyed in a tornado or they, you know, I don't know, these, you know, these things that happened. Um, and so, you know, th- they don't even call it trauma, Ashley. And so yeah. it's um, it's also about an awareness of this discounting or even just flat old denial about, um, you know, what happened to me if I... If I acknowledge, if I go back and acknowledge that that was really difficult, just like if it, if it happened to my best friend and they told me about it, I'd go, oh, that's horrible, but I'm not allowing myself to see it as difficult. Mm-hmm. Another huge step is to understand that your own mm, denial is probably the best word or discounting is, is part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So denial, that's an interesting one because I feel like until you see something, you're denying it's there or it's not conscious at all. Like it's unconscious. And I know that, you know, my wish for anyone is not for their unconscious to appear and they're conscious unless they're ready to take it on because sometimes it's stored away in the right. bowels of your brain for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say that someone is starting to notice um, th- those moments in their life where maybe it's not a big T trauma. Like you talked about, it's not like being held gunpoint or rape and it's a little T trauma. It's about not getting invited to someone's birthday party and making it mean that you aren't safe with your friends or whatever it is. Um, how does somebody go about kind of unraveling that perfectionism?
1: Well, for one thing, let me say a, a, a quick caveat. If, if you have any kind of severe trauma, in your lifetime that you haven't addressed, then working with a trauma therapist is very important. This is hard work. It's complex work. It's, it's uh, like you said, trauma is actually stored in the brain in different places. It's it's little pieces of it are, are stored all over the brain. And what trauma techniques actually do like EMDR or something like that, eye movement desensitization mm-hmm. processing therapy, is that it provides an avenue for those memories to become more complete. Which might sound as if it's makes it harder, but actually makes it better mm-hmm. because you can have the memory of the trauma without as an emotional response. Because right now it's all pure emotion, right? Okay, so let's we can diatribe about EMDR, but basically, so I want to say that first.
2: I love
0: actually talking about that because I think a lot of people listening might not have an intimate awareness of what is EMDR and also brain spotting. If you have any thought on that or Mm -hmm. any of those modalities therapeutically that people can start to consider based on where they're at, that would be great to hear more.
1: Sure. I've been trained in EMDR. I've not been trained in brain spotting. So, but I have a friend who has, and she's told me about some of the concepts of it and it's very similar to EMDR, but basically this is kind of a uh, an interesting little simple story the The person who created EMDR was literally walked taking a walk, and she was dart her eyes were darting back and forth as she walked, and she realized that she was beginning to feel she was very emotional about something and she was actually beginning to feel better the more her eyes went back and forth and so she did these studies with poor old psychology students in college you know they're always the study everybody studies college students and sure enough she found this direct um relationship between your eyes moving back and forth and following an object like following some uh, fingers that a therapist might hold up and wave at you or and basically what you're doing is you are stimulating both hemispheres You know, your eyes dart to the right, and that's the left hemisphere, and your eyes dart to the, what did I just say, left, and that's your right hemisphere. And so you are going, but you're making your brain go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And what that does is it stimulates the reorganization of the traumatic memory. And it's done in a very specific way. Uh, An EMDR trained and certified therapist will always take you and help you create a safe space first so that you just don't dive into the trauma, right? You, you, you create a safe space, you create, there are all kinds of things that you create people around you and you have them in your head and your mind. Um, It sounds kind of woo woo, but it's really not like your wise, who, who has been your wisdom, who has been your uh, security, who has been your, um, Safety and you you gather those uh, energies or people in your in your mind and they're in your safe space and so when you start going to the more traumatic memories when you're ready, um, that you can always return back to that safe space so you're never left just raw and dangling and you know it's 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 um it's a very careful process a very caring process but it's been shown to be highly affected with with trauma and what i mean by that is you don't forget the trauma or it doesn't you know but you can think about you can remember the trauma without as much of an emotional response
0: Are you tired of feeling tired? There's one phase of sleep that almost everybody fails to get enough of, and it's called deep sleep. This is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, hunger, weight loss, hormones, energy, and so much more. And chances are, if you're not loving your sleep, you're not loving your life. And one of the biggest reasons people don't get enough sleep, especially the deep state, is because they're deficient in magnesium, along with 80% of the US population. Since magnesium is responsible for 300 to 600 different biochemical reactions in your body, if you don't get enough, you're likely to struggle with sleep, energy, metabolism, pain, and stress. So why is the majority of the US population missing magnesium in their body? Well, it's been missing in the soil in the united states since the 1950s so while you can get some magnesium from certain foods like black beans nuts avocados spinach and more if you really want to make sure you get enough i recommend considering a supplement in addition to these foods this is why i was inspired to share the magnesium breakthrough product i've been using every evening from bio-optimizers. This is by far the most complete magnesium product I've ever heard of with the optimal ratio of seven essential types of magnesium, including number one, magnesium chalate, which is great for muscle strength, recovery, and health. Two, magnesium malate, which helps with headaches, chronic pain, and depression. And number three, magnesium L3N8, which is to help you improve your brain function, including your short and your long term memory, which we all need a little of that. Most magnesium supplements only have two or three different types of the nutrient, which is still not moving the needle like bio optimizers does head on over to www.magbreakthrough.com slash u-turn. That's www.magbreakthrough.com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n and make sure you use the u-turn code for 10% off your order. I absolutely am loving the Mag Breakthrough product, game changer, and I hope you enjoy the 10% off. Yes. Okay. So I know a lot of people who they did EMDR on something that they'd been in therapy for like five years. And they said after a few EMDR sessions, they feel completely different about their trauma. It's so powerful. So anybody who feels really stuck in pain about something considering EMDR and a therapist who can do it is great. Do you have (laughs) bandwidth right now for any listeners who would want to do that with you? Or is it groups that you're supporting?
1: Uh, you mean, could I do that myself with people? Yeah. Oh, um, well, okay. I said I'd gotten trained in EMDR and I did. Um, I did not get certified in EMDR. Okay. I started writing the book. Okay? Mm. Um, I w- I was on my path to getting certified and I may still do that. Um, but I I would always go to an EMDR certified therapist who has gone through the several weekends and the trainings that you have to do. Um, you, anybody can say they they can do EMDR, like anybody can say they've done hypnosis. Yeah. But you know what kind of training have they had? And right. you can look up EMDR certified therapist in your area. And um, yes, it's it's a very effective way of of uh, working on trauma, and it's it's really um, that and neurofeedback is also uh, an up and coming kind of a, a, a treatment that actually quiets the brain. Um, I have two or three patients doing it right now and and it is a, um, it is a marvelous way of, I mean, I, one of my patients said, it's, it's almost like, I don't feel like I've got this running film constantly in my head of the abuse I suffered as a child. It's like my reactivity to things. It's almost like what you notice is the absence of something rather than the presence of something. Mm -hmm. notice you're you have less of a startle reaction you have less of a sense of you know your immediate response to something when you've had trauma you know something happens and it's startling and it's unpleasant and then all you can think of is that time that you know your father you know i don't know uh, beat up your mom or something yeah so it begins to quiet the mind and i'm sure that's there's a much more uh, detailed way of talking about it but but that's a simple kind of thing so neurofeedback is also good and again i've I've heard that brain spotting is good um
0: can you give a summary just for anybody even if you're not practicing it for people to understand kind of what brain spotting even means because and and how do you choose what modality might be a good healer for you especially if you're dealing with perfectionism
1: Well, basically what I would do is find a therapist that you feel comfortable with. Okay. So whether they say, yes, I've been trained in brain spotting my, what I, what my friend told me about it was that it's literally you, there is some way they, they do this, that you find a spot to look at. And that spot seems to bring with it. It's probably has something to do with your eyes. And I, you know, I'm, I'm really I can, I can remember what she said, but it's mostly that there's something about that spot that releases and, um, some trauma. And you also have a sense of, um, less anxiety. Um, but, but that's about the extent I know about it. So, um, that that's pretty.
0: Um, No, I've actually tried it before. And, um, basically they take a pen and it, it feels very kind of like wizardry and they put it across and you follow it with your eyes and, you tell them where the pen should stop again. And there's no thinking about it. And it's interesting because I've been reading a book by Osho about intuition. And he talks about how the realists of the world think that there's two realms. There's the known and the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then the, the mystics and what he thinks is true is the three realms, which is the known, the unknown and the unknowable, which is more about intuition and um, the the mystic invisible that is around us. And, Um, it's interesting because it feels like there's something about brain spotting. That's kind of in the unknowable. It's like we, you randomly intuitively say, stop the stick right there as they're going across your eyes and, um, you start sharing the memory or you don't tell them to stop the stick. They know where to stop it based on how your eye movement is looking and they ask you to share.
1: And, um, I would say is that, um, I just did an interview with Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a neuroscientist. Love her. Yeah, oh, she's she's fantastic. And, you know, she she talks about how with EEG, it was electroencephalogram, whatever, encephalogram, whatever.
0: I don't blame you. I struggled with that one, too, when she was on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I should know that. Um,
1: but anyway, uh, she talks about how you can tell on EEG, which which is um, measuring brainwave activity in the brain that the unconscious mind or she calls it the non-conscious mind, you know, most people would call it the unconscious, is always on 24-7. It is the wave activity that is um that is can be measured, that is the what she calls the non-conscious mind. And so I think in brain spotting and in EMDR, actually you're pulling on the unconscious mind. You're pulling from the unconscious mind, the wise mind as it's often called, to help you know quote unquote, you know, where to stop or what the memory is by stopping. And uh I think it's fascinating work. Um you know when I came along we we just did talk therapy for trauma and it's it's effective. Uh but these are these more ancillary treatments are actually then they can be primary or or, you know, one, you're right, it's so much more cost effective. And two, you know, um if you don't have a really good therapists that can sit and and provide you a very, um, safe space to talk about all these things that really happen to you. And, and sadly, sometimes I think people do trauma therapy that really can't do that. They get uncomfortable. And so that makes you withdraw. And so, um,
0: yeah. Or there's like the level of perfectionism where you don't even want your therapist to see what you're going through. It's, it's, um,
1: And the thing that probably is true of EMDR as well as brain spotting is again, your unconscious mind is bringing forward what you need to remember, you know, what you need to put together. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I I know in your book, first you talk about what is perfectly hidden depression. And, you know, I think a lot of people confuse depression with just being sad all the time. Whereas my understanding is it's a lot more of like an apathy. Um, I'm, I'm curious for anyone listening is there a way for you to give them feedback so that they can kind of self identify if they're possibly someone who does have that perfectly hidden depression
1: sure you know depression is is doesn't always look the same i mean that's a well known fact it can look like anger it can look like sadness it can look like you know lack of engagement it can look like um wanting to be alone it can look like um you know agitation even um but uh, and so de- de- depression is what I call depression is kind of a classic depression. It's like it's an implosion of the self. Basically, all your energy is going inward when you're severely depressed. Now, mildly depressed, not as much. But and so the the work becomes to pull your energy back out. Um, and so clinical depression is much more about, you know, you have mental fog. There's some mental um, symptoms uh, indecisiveness, all that kind of thing, foggy thinking, you have emotional kinds of symptoms, meaning you may cry all the time or you may not cry at all. You may, um, you know, you may feel kind of flat or you may feel real moody. I mean, but there are definitely some emotional symptoms and then there are physical symptoms, like, you know, you're not sleeping or you sleep all the time. You're not hungry or you're hungry all the time. You don't have any energy. You know, you you don't want to do anything that you used to find pleasurable. Uh, and you feel this way most of the time. So if not all the time and people notice. that's mm-hmm. the, thing. the thing about the perfectionistic, um, uh, uh, presentation of depression that i'm talking about is that none of that will happen this person looks energetic they look happy they look in, engaged in life they look um uh you know they may or may not have sleep and appetite disturbance they may have suicidal ideation but they don't tell anybody um, they're invested in not looking agitated they want to look really in control and so um it's how, you know, I, I can list for you the things that I um, call the 10 traits of perfectly hidden oppression with the 10 characteristics. Um we can go through them real quickly. You're highly perfectionistic and have a constant critical and shaming inner voice. That's different from, you know, perfectionism that's fueled by curiosity or generosity. This is fueled by I've got to, I've got to prove this inner voice of criticism wrong. You know, uh, I'm constantly hearing my parent or somebody tell me I'm worth nothing. They demonstrate a lot of respons- responsibility. They're always the ones who are saying I'll do it, I'll do it. They um, stay very overly analytical. They don't like to be emotional. Um, it's interesting. And, and they'll just shut painful emotions off. They'll say, oh, you know, if I started crying, I'd never stop. Stuff like that. They're worried, but they don't, they don't want to let anyone know they're worried. So they have a really active need for control, controlling themselves, controlling their environment. They intensely focus on tasks and they use, you know, I'm valued because of what I do. I had a patient one time say, I'm a dooman, not a human. And so they kind of objectify themselves. You know, uh, they focus on the well-being of others, but don't allow anyone into their inner world. Um, they use accomplishment to feel valuable. Once they've done one thing, they're on to the next thing and on to the next thing. It's kind of like being on a treadmill when you have no... Um, you have no control over the speed of the incline, and and so you're constantly trying to meet the expectations of the world around you and your own expectations. They deny um, personal hurt or sorrow. Uh, they believe st- strongly in being grateful and counting their blessings, not realizing that they are underbellies of those blessings. They're usually. Professionally very successful, although procrastination can also be a problem with perfectionism, but they don't have much emotional intimacy in their relationships because nobody knows them. They're very lonely. Mm. And they're also, um, they can have, I, I never wanted anybody to walk around saying, say, oh, I have perfectly hidden depression. That's what's wrong with me again perfectly hidden depression is not a diagnosis it's a it's a syndrome it's this group of behaviors and beliefs that i just listed off that kind of fall together and that's how you know you quote unquote have it but you know it's not like a illness that you have but you could also have um, mental health problems that like are eating disorders or anxiety disorders or you may drink too much or you may love those gummies that you pop at night you know it's like um you know it's, it's it, it, there can be some other things wrong. So,
0: mm. It's so interesting
1: to think about the definition of what all that's all. You know, if you have four, five, six, seven of those, then you know you might want to think about how that perfectionism is acting as a camouflage.
0: Well, I have to give a shout out to myself that I'm eating while on this podcast with you, and in my TED talk, I talk about perfectionism and I misspelled perfectionism on the slide. It doesn't get much realer than that. And I literally was like that. You can't make that up. That's so amazing. Hilarious. It's really good. It's like a little treat that people comment on in on YouTube that I love. Um,
1: I have a, uh, I have these 10 traits in a, in a Pinterest pin, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> um, there's, you know, there's like one period, two period, three period, and then one of them has a comma instead of a period.
0: And so many people comment, I can't stand that that comma is there. Oh my gosh. Right. And that's the thing is that we have a culture that reinforces that or doesn't allow for safety with that. And this reminds me of the steps that I was looking at in your book. So you talk about first attain consciousness, mm-hmm. the five stages of healing. So stage one, attaining consciousness, which Looking at those 10 traits, having this conversation, even clicking this podcast episode, maybe gives you a hint that you're like thinking maybe you have this or maybe not. I don't know. And then stage two is making the commitment. So what does it really look like to make that commitment to break that cycle
1: of perfectionism? It is scary as all get out. Because, again, like we were talking a few minutes ago, this kind of perfectionism has been a way that you have functioned for probably a very long time. I have I have thought about it like a Jenga game where, you know, if you don't take the exact right piece out, the whole structure crumbles. And that's what your fear is. And that's what making the commitment is so hard to do, because you're going to run into that fear a lot. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, other things that some people have done, uh, in my practice when they've come in is that they want to get this over with, okay, I've got eight weeks and I want to not be perfect. I don't want to be a perfectionistic. <laughs> so
0: know. they're perfectionizing how yes. but they're yes. that's amazing. And, so,
1: and they, they try, they want to do the hard things first and they don't want to take it slow. And they, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, no, I don't want to do that work. Cause that's too messy. I want to do this. So there are lots of, um, of hurdles, um, as I said just a second ago, again, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. And they're not used of, of and they're not used to thinking of things that way. Mm-hmm. So, then that third uh, step is confrontation, which is basically using some cognitive behavioral kinds of con- concepts where you look at all these rules, these absolutes you're following, you know, I should do this. I must do this. I must never do that. I should always do that. And their are beliefs that are underneath those rules. I told a, a story this afternoon about that my mother, who was uh, uh, talk about, she stressed beauty a lot when I was growing up, uh, and she had certain definitions of beauty, a certain weight, and but she always believed in in curling her eyelashes, and so I curled my eyelashes like constantly um until I didn't anymore and and it was this rule I followed it was a stupid rule and um I finally said but you know really the the belief behind the rule was not only will I not be attractive if I don't curl my eyelashes but I won't even be valued you know little things that you're doing that you realize wait a minute the only reason I'm doing this is because I have a belief that if I don't do it I'm not lovable. I'm not valued. I'm not safe even. And that's a little bitty thing, but it can be anything from, I must never show my anger. I must, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've actually heard a lot of that from, um, some friends who they're, they're, um, especially in personal development, they're afraid to touch their anger. And, my friend, Alyssa Obriga, she's so amazing. She was saying to me, man, she's like, anger is kind of powerful. I don't really feel this very often, but it moves things along. Like what a fiery, fiery, powerful uh, experience. And so I love that she referenced anger in that way. Hey, U-Turners, I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered with the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day. I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research, and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail, and it works with any other email provider, really, that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to anymore. The Sane Later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email, and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days, I check my Sane later folder, skim through it, and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox, and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks, I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox and now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be making their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash u-turn that's s-a-n-e-b-o-x dot com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n to access 14 days of Sanebox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership. Now it's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and I love that there's really, um, I don't know. She talks about like drive by vulnerability, like, you know, just like a dropping a line about something that maybe somebody hasn't earned the right to hear your story. Mm -hmm. Um, what thoughts do you have on that? Because as people are removing those layers of perfectionism, they're probably thinking like, okay, this is where I start to be more vulnerable. And it probably feels like, I don't know, I'm really bad at riding bikes. So forever as an adult look like little kids, the moment the training wheels come off, that's like how I ride a bike. So kind of, it looks like that probably for them to just say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable and put myself out there and show that I'm not perfect. So do you have any words of wisdom around that vulnerability?
1: Well, the my, my first blush response is simply, you know, part of the discernment in being vulnerable is trying to make sure that you realize or that you feel that someone has the capability of not of, of listening and being open to what you're saying, rather than seeing that conversation as an opportunity to uh, make you squirm, kind of.
0: That's huh. a really powerful statement because I think a lot of people listening probably don't feel like they can share with their mom right, or their right. dad. And they'll keep trying to be vulnerable with them or a sibling, thinking to themselves, if I open up this time, maybe they'll hold it, maybe they'll have capacity for this emotional experience I'm in and we can connect. And I see time and time again that people end up heartbroken because members of their family or their primary attachment figures can't hold what they're going through. And they keep repeating that self-rejection by hoping that it can be held the next yes. time and the next time. So I love that piece of advice.
1: Thank you. I, you know, I, I, I will say to people, you can't go to, you can't expect to get ice cream at a hardware store. You know, that if you believe and you want someone to be capable uh but they're not. They're not withholding it from you. They're not saying, I have it to give, but I'm not going to give it to you. That that can happen. But also what can be very real is they don't have it to give. They, they are not withholding it. They simply don't have it. And so if you keep asking for it, if you're vulnerable or you reveal something to them, it, it's a hard decision. To say, you know, I have a mother or a father or a sibling or an ex or whatever that I just, I thought, you know, I grew up thinking they were capable, but they really aren't. I can see that now as an adult. Um, That doesn't feel good, you know, but it's certainly, you're you're not going to set yourself up for as much hurt. And and actually, I think it's helpful. It, It can be helpful and sort of freeing to think they're not withholding it from me. They never learned it. They never, they never experienced it. So they don't have it to give to me.
0: Okay. So this brings me into dating and love because I once dated a guy who was emotionally unavailable years ago Mm -hmm. and he was very handsome and stylish and successful in a lot of things. But in a way there was like a perfectionism to how he projected himself in the world. I mean, and he was an art collector so he had this, like this how his house was like an art gallery. And the point being that I started to realize over time that this perfectionistic beauty was really a mask for emotional unavailability. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of self-help and, um, you know, therapists and professionals of that nature, they will say that relationships are a mirror. And if you are chasing unavailable people, it's because you are in some way unavailable, because available people don't want to chase unavailable people. They just don't play the game. So right. what would be your message around that? Because I'm um, why why would we keep sharing with people that can't hold our story? Like, what do you think that is under that for people?
1: Um, I think my 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 first response to that is. There's something that's getting triggered in you that's probably old uh you're keep you're keeping going trying to learn a lesson you you're trying to learn something but you're you you're you're convincing yourself that the lesson you're trying to learn is this I've got to find someone who's emotionally available and maybe it is um you know maybe you're looking for uh you're you're stuck there, and and as you say, sometimes it is, it is about recognizing. Wait a minute, I'm the person that really doesn't know how to be emotionally available myself, and because I keep on being attracted to people like this, um, so it's it's really to stop looking at the relationship and to slow down and look at yourself. Yes, I had two marriages in my twenties. Well, my twenties and early thirties, and um, I was trying so hard not to be controlled, um, uh, by my parents that I found two very controlling people, um, to marry. And so I still felt like I need, I, I needed to be controlled. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my own inner, um, directionism, directionism, directionality, direction, whatever. Um, and it wasn't until I very painfully figured that out. One of those relationships being abusive, um, then it was okay wait a minute i this is inner work this isn't relationship work this is inner work and and it was very helpful for me to make that distinction
0: okay i love this and um you know i also think you know just having looked at your book so you have those five stages of healing you have number 1 attaining consciousness which we talked about and the 10 different signs um, stage two, making that commitment, really deciding and being discerning around who you're vulnerable with, which I, I loved your advice with that. And then third, the stage three is confronting your rule book.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: what, I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know what their rule book says and and it's, yeah. We talked
1: about that for a minute a little while ago. We were talking yeah. about the rules and the absolutes and all that kind of thing. And so that's your rule book, and and you you want to try to discern. You use your word. Um, you know what is working for you. Maybe maybe the rules of I'm going to get up in the morning and six o'clock and go for a walk that's a good rule that really helps you feel good um but maybe the rule of i've got to look a certain way or i've got to act a certain way you know your friend who said anger is empowering for some reason she had decided she couldn't ever express anger and you know anger can be it's, it's a motivating emotion um not if you you know scream and yell but certainly if you feel it um, so that's the third stage and then the fourth stage again and all these are integrated they don't happen like you know sequentially or anything you know these Perfectionist. No, they, they need to be perfect. Perfect stages. No, I mean I'm actually in stage 2.7. <laughs> um, you know, it's about learning how to connect with those emotions. And this is really hard because a lot of times people say, Oh, I don't want to go back and blame, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, I'm responsible for myself. It's not about blaming, it's about acknowledging. It's about going back um and looking at wonderful things that happened to you. Um, And then things that were really tough and you look at that with compassion and then then you have to you know, well, you don't have to you can choose to try to learn to actually connect with emotions and there will be people actually say I, I don't know how to do that and they really mean it I mean, they kind of look at you blankly when you say well, you know, when do you get sad, well, I don't know. You know, they they really they don't know what makes them sad. They don't have any concept of that. So we have to kind of um, go through and and investigate. And literally, I do that work in the session. I say so. I, I look at them and say, "Well, now there was a little fleeting something that went, I I could see it over you know across your eyes." And he said, "Well, I don't know. I was I didn't want to feel that. Well, why didn't you want to feel it? You know, what is it?" And so we begin to literally um take what is all closed off and try to open it up but that also leads as you think you said a few minutes ago to okay is it is the is the you know is it jack-in-the-box is the is the thing going to pop open and all of a sudden here comes this trauma and you know that's why you have to be careful and then the other thing that i think is so important is is uh change um i've learned a lot that. You know, I think insight is great and all you people who do psychodynamic therapy out there insight is just great. Uh, But I think you get hope from change. You get hope from actually seeing your behavior change from feeling things that you have not felt and you've wanted to feel, or you're scary to feel and you're feeling that or to doing something that you've never been able to do. Um, And so working on real behavioral change is important. Um, You know, I've just said that the, um, (laughs) that, the uh, the opposite of perfectly hidden depression is self acceptance, and I think you and I talked about this on on um, uh, a little bit when you came on my show. But I believe that self acceptance is being aware that your vulnerabilities don't define you any more than your strengths, nor do your strengths define you any more than your vulnerabilities. So it's like they coexist. I've used this example before you know, I have three letters after my name. I've worked really hard for them. I'm glad I have them. They've given me the license to be a therapist for 30 years now. And that's great. I also have been married three times. Okay. Not a great fact. One that I'm have certainly at times in my life been ashamed about. Those are both facts about me, right? I don't think one defines me any more than the other one. They're just facts. And I might be judged maybe people don't like PhDs or maybe people think it's crazy that you've been divorced, you know, well, twice, I've been divorced twice. And, you know, they would say, Oh, I'd never go to her, but okay. They still don't define me. And to me, that's self-acceptance, I didn't always feel that way.
0: I love that. Once you accept yourself and you own something, it's like nobody can make you wrong for it anymore. You free yourself of the thing.
1: And Brene Brown does talk about that too. When you, when you claim your vulnerability, then, you know, if, I, I can be really impatient. I hate waiting in lines. It's kind of, I don't know if it's grandiosity on my part or it's not a, you know, my son will go, mom, what do you, you know, why, why are you twitching so much? And, um, but if someone says, Margaret, gosh, you're so impatient. I'd probably go, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. You know, I get it. But if I'm defensive about it, I go, what do you mean impatient? I'm not impatient.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It takes so much. It's, oh, I have a friend, Sam Skelly. She's so good at not being defensive. It's almost like I've had to sit her down and say, stop taking responsibility for everything. It's not true. (laughs) She's so good at being like, yeah, I am. You know, And I just love that so much. People like that, it can feel so safe to be friends with them because there's kind of an unsafety to, um two perfectionistic friends mm-hmm. because you feel like you really don't know what they think um mm-hmm. you you don't know where you stand um and you you don't feel safe to kind of give that permission to yourself to be open to being a real
1: real friend they're they're and telling you well, I didn't like what you said or be going, oh, well, you know, I have to have this perfect looking facade. And so, yeah, you're right.
0: I feel like that what you were talking about with the rule book was huge. And, and I love that you have these steps and, you know, talking and and for those of you on listening who are taking notes, um, attaining consciousness, making the commitment, confronting your rule book, connecting with emotional pain for healing. I thought it was interesting. They talked about how some people really don't feel because, I was reading that one out of 25 Americans are a sociopath, which has a really negative connotation, but doesn't mean that they're all a serial killer. It just means that one out of 25 people can't feel right. And I would argue maybe that number is higher and not classified as that term of sociopath. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think being compassionate for people who are on their journey with that. And you talk about in, in stage five, you talk about changing your focus from perfection to true happiness and what I was hearing you say is really just owning who you are and where you're at as a way to kind of set yourself free. Is there anything else that, um, before we go, that you would want to share with anyone listening around perfectionism?
1: Well, one, let me say quickly, I I do, I totally agree with you that that's growth on your part, that if you realize, well, wait a minute, I, I almost you know, spill my guts all the time because I was, I get so, I got so tired of that emptiness or that lack of um, openness and honesty in my family that I've, 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 I've maybe um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I've, I've uh, uh, corrected too much. I've overcorrected. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's, that's growth, that's maturity. And hopefully we all, um, you know, as we get older, figure out certain things. But I think again, that, um, if there are any mental health people out there, I, th- I think that I would want them to really understand that as therapists, that you, um, you have to have that when you're treating someone who's perfectionistic, you cannot just look at the symptom criteria list and say, oh, well, no, they're not depressed. Um, and so, you know, we need to make sure that, um, we're, we're watching to dep- uh, perfectionism closely, and you can tell in therapy if somebody's perfectionistic, you know they'll come in and say, well I did all the exercises you asked me to or you know <laughs> um you know I spent four hours on this one question, and it's like, okay, well, all right, um that's material for that's that's information for a therapist and then um you know also I think you have to be careful you know we we choose to be around people who are like us mm-hmm. and who tend to say, you know, oh, well, yeah, sure. Of course, you're perfectionistic. And of course, you don't talk about things. I, You know, perfectionists will often be uh, associating with people who are, again, just like them and don't tell the truth. Um, So, you know, you can maybe think about reaching out of your friend group and saying, wait a minute, I think, you know, gosh, I think Ashley is someone who always seems to risk being herself, maybe maybe she's the person I want to open up with a little bit about, about what I struggle with. Not love your that. perfectionist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Love that. Okay. Um, where can everyone find you? Those of you listening, check out the self-work podcast. Amazing show that she's doing. Um, where else can people follow you, learn from you and grow from you? Uh, my website's
1: drmargaretrutherford.com which is such a you know creative name <laughs> um the book is uh everywhere you buy books it's at the library i hear um hello kitty um and uh actually if someone feels strongly about it i don't mind if people email me at ask at dr that's you know i'd love to answer your question. so um Anyway, I love being here and thank you so much for looking over the book. And as I told you before we actually started recording, my best friend called, calls my work about this, my soul work. And it really does feel like that. It feels like um, I never wanted to write a book. I, I love doing therapy. That's all I wanted to do. And this book kind of found me. And so um, it's been something I'm very passionate about and I, and I can't thank you enough. I'm very grateful to be on.
0: Thank you again for coming on. You're one of, um, a handful of guests that like I I think about, and I just have so much appreciation for your brain and and your heart. And thank you again.
1: You're more than welcome.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners